Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, and that is because we have one of the pillars of one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports on the show, Mr. Jerry West. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Doing fantastic. The, okay. the, first, the first question I wanted to ask you is now, in your life today, what gets you the most excited? What gets your, your gears spinning the same way, you know, that it did when you were playing a championship game? Well, you know, I think that uh, all of us have loves in our lives. And uh, <clears throat> one, I've had a longstanding love in my life uh, from a personal perspective, something that uh, has always driven me, uh, compet being competitive. Uh, some people as they age and, you know, kind of take a, different perspective in their lives, um, they lose that a little bit. And I've been fortunate enough to still be involved in the league for so many years. And uh, uh, when I go to the game, I have a kind of routine like I did as a player, even when I go to the game today. And uh, um, we played tonight against a very good Memphis team and uh, was supposed to have one of their star players back, Jaron Jackson, who has played all year. <clears throat> and uh, we played last night in Portland. And I wonder how these players are going to react tonight. Are we going to come ready to play? We've had some, <clears throat> a lot of people in and out of our lineup, as a bunch of teams have had. And, um, you know, I'm wondering, you know, how our coach will make adjustments. This is how my mind works, even to this day. Right. And, uh, and I think along the way, the things you learn, you, you always want to complete the season successfully. But uh, <clears throat> to me, the most important thing is, is <clears throat> trying to prepare your team for next year. What do you need next year to make your team better? So even though you're staying kind of in the moment of the season, <clears throat> there's always a thought for what's going to go on in the future. Right. No, it's so, it's so interesting to hear you, you know, talk in a very similar way to how every player talks about their team. Do you ever wake up in the morning, you know, before the Clippers have a big game these days and think, you know, just for a second, oh, I got to gotta go to the gym and get some shots up. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, those shooting days are over. I think <laughs> I touch a basketball, I'd break out in a rash. Um, I think I, everyone probably who played with me probably say he shot too much then. <laughs> That's funny. So I, I want to ask now, obviously, one of the byproducts of winning a lot is celebrating a lot. You played with a lot of very fun people, Wilt Chamberlain included. What did a celebration for a championship or something like that look like back then? Well, we didn't win. We only won once. We got in the finals nine times and only won once. And uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, our celebrations were of sorrow. <laughs> uh, you know, what could have we have done different? Um, you know, it's, I've often said there's more stories uh, in a losing locker room than there are in a winning locker room. All you to hear is praise and and uh, they don't see the torment that goes on in, in, a, um, uh, in a visitor's locker room that has lost or a, win or a, a winning team. Uh, <clears throat> the mood is completely different. Um, uh, the toll of a regular season and then the, it's like you're, you start the season <clears throat> and you know it's gonna be a marathon. You right. get to the playoff, you know it's gonna be a sprint. And, um, Sometimes you lose by a step. Sometimes you lose by five, five steps. And every once in a while, um, and especially in my career, um, we got to, we had a, 
a big lead and we won, won the race. But the stories, the, the sadness, uh, uh, how you feel after the season's over, you, you just feel you feel worthless because, you know, people say, well, what do you play for? <clears throat> well, actually, you play for a couple things. You play for the city you're in, and particularly in cities which really embrace uh, professional teams. And also, you play for the people you're playing with, uh, uh, the, the, the people who work for an organization. You play for them. Uh, so it's not something that uh, uh, goes away very quickly. Uh, it, it, it makes you angry. You have all, you have all this range of emotions <clears throat> and you know everyone will say well you know you were one of the last two teams standing well that's not good enough that's not good enough because i think people are conditioned to win and some people just face it are more competitive than others i think we all know which one you are of those two <laughs> um but you know all that said i think it's so fascinating because when you look at you know, what I associate that final championship with just as a fan is, you know, for baseball, they, they got all the champagne, basketball, they have all the champagne. And then when the people who are working on staff realize they're not going to win, they take it out of the locker room, all the cameras leave. And in that losing locker room, there's no media, there's, you know, no photographers, they're all in the winning locker room. And I wish that there were more people capturing those losing moments because those being documented, I feel like that's a lot more motivating to see somebody go from that to the championship rather than just win. Do you share that? Well, I was, oh, for sure. <clears throat> As I mentioned to you, uh, the thing that's really difficult is you, you play the whole regular season, okay, to, to prove that you're one of the best teams. And you get in, the, let's say you get in the finals, regardless of where it is, uh, football, you know, World Series, hockey, basketball. You're playing the seventh and final game to determine who's a championship. And I just want you to imagine <clears throat> the emotion in the locker room for each team that's playing for a championship. And sometimes you can go out there and have players really lay eggs, can't catch the ball, can't shoot it. <clears throat> People always use the word, well, they were too nervous or they choked, right? <clears throat> I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think sometimes destiny plays a huge part of it. You know, ball bouncing a certain way for you. Effort will sometimes even that out if your effort's good. But at the end of the day, uh, someone's gonna lose and someone's not gonna lose. But can you imagine playing one game to decide a whole season, one game to decide a whole playoff? Uh, <clears throat> almost doesn't seem fair. No, I, I wouldn't fare very well in March Madness. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, March Madness is, is going to be, there's going to be going forward, there's going to be a lot of smaller schools winning it uh, for a lot of reasons. But one in particular, the kids stay in school longer. If there are these power schools who <clears throat> used to be able to dominate the country anymore, kids are not going for that anymore. They're going to go for a chance where they get a play right away <clears throat> and uh, maybe not even go out of state, play for their home university. Totally. And I think you're, you're, you're gonna see more and, that, more and more of that, but you're gonna see these mid-majors because very rarely did they have a kid that leaves school early, very rarely. And they get coached for four years. The coaches at these mid-major schools are terrific. And they build a program by going out and recruiting kids that no one else really 
looks at that much. So there's an incredible amount of loyalty for these kids who go there, get an opportunity to play, but they can see themselves get better every year. But more importantly, they do play as a team. And it's fun to play on a team and not with a bunch of individuals. And a lot of times when these young kids get out there, coaches coach them, but at the end of the day, their talent is so enormous. Uh, and the only thing preventing them from being professional players is just probably age. And so they go to school for one year and they're gone. And how can you be as good as you were if you'd stay in school at least two years? Uh, exactly. If there's one rule I'd like to see changed, I think kids should go to school for two years and then come out. I think it would benefit both them and, uh, and the professional game. But <clears throat> I've often said, if you can get killed in a war at 18 years of age, why can't you go and pursue your dreams, whatever they may be in life? Just, I mean, it's totally true. They should definitely have, have that opportunity. And I think also, you know, regardless of whether the NBA allows it or not, there are so many more opportunities now available because of, you know, these kids already being worldwide known superstars by the time they graduate high school, some of the best of the best. So the opportunities that they're presented with, you know, now as well are things that didn't even exist when guys like LeBron were coming out of high school. Well, you know, as I say, that was a unique <clears throat> time. <clears throat> Excuse me. That was a unique time for, uh, for all young high school kids if they were good enough. And, but it was most, at that point in time, it was almost always people were interested in the taller players. But if you look at the change in the game, all these kids that are six, five, six, seven, I call them intermediate sized players. <laughs> and also the rules have dictated enormous change in the way the game is played. It, it's designed for offense defensively. Um, <clears throat> I wish said let the, let the coaches uh, do a little bit more defensively, but you can't touch players. Uh, the rules have been very lax. And it's simply because people like to see home runs. They like to see strikeouts in baseball. In basketball, they like to see scoring. And with the skill of these kids today, and particularly off the dribble, and their ability to shoot shots, um, you, you just can't touch anyone today. And so there's so much more easy to score today. Uh, puts most, so much more stress on the, uh, on the def defenses. And uh, I wish we would allow defensive players at all levels to play a little bit more aggressive than they do today. Totally. Now you're somebody who's had a really good eye over a very long period of time for finding and selecting talent before they're, you know, huge. When you look at the game and you think about the game, how much of it do you think is physical versus mental? And are you looking <clears throat> at how they're thinking about the game from a mental standpoint as much as what they're able to do on the court when you're picking these guys at 19, 20, 21? Well, there's a couple of skills that you know, people don't even think about. Hard work is probably the greatest skill for any player to have enormous success. Even for the average person in all walk of life, you can have, you know, you can have all kind of knowledge. Uh, you can have, uh, you know, you can talk about it. You can do it. But if you don't work hard enough, uh, you're never going to accomplish any goals that you set for yourself. But if you take a player who's got unique skills, and I heard you say the word superstars, there's not that many superstars in basketball. Uh, you know, everyone's a superstar. That's not true. It's probably five, maybe. 
in the NBA, they're a bunch of all-star players, but there's a major difference between a, a superstar and an all-star, a major difference. And uh, uh, one of the things that superstars do, they seem to attract the attention of people. They draw more people. Where an all-star player, you'll have a few fans, but that the emphasis in this league is so much on uh, the talent of these players and unique talent that they have but the way they play the game, uh, you know, you watch Steph Curry, who's like a, oh my goodness, he's like a, an oddball in today's game because of his ability to make shots from anywhere and his incredible accuracy and the joy he has in the game. Then you watch LeBron James, you watch uh, Giannis, uh, you watch Kevin Durant. Uh, those players, they just have it all. And what is it? They see the game differently than the average player. They see the game in slow motion. They don't make the same mistakes over and over. Uh, they're incredible teammates, all of them, because they play the total game. They pass the ball. They're not selfish. And um, this, to me, is what com comprises a superstar. And you put people around them. You can put very average players around them, but pretty soon they're going to get better. Just following their habits watching how they play the game, but more importantly, watch what they put into the game every night physically. And mentally, they always just play ahead. Um, so your mind, uh, your instincts, that's a gift. You can't, you can't work on that. You can work harder and harder and harder, but to get to that level, you have to have a special gift. And there's a few players that have it, and the rest of them are lacking that one particular element. And we have some wonderful players in this league that are really, really good. But there's something that, that everyone would probably trade their best player if they could find one of those really unique players that does things that other people don't seem to do. And they inspire their teammates along the way. What do you think that thing is? Is it just another level <laughs> of motivation? Or no. what do you think no. it is? Absolutely not. It's a gift. It's a gift. Um, if you can, I, I, and again, I, I, one of the things I always felt I had an advantage, I always thought I knew what everyone was doing before they were going to do it. Now, you're not, you may not be because they're gifted enough to get to them and bother them, but over the course of the game, you're going to get them to make mistakes. You're going to get them to make mistakes and just hopeful it's in the right uh, part of the game. And, and you know, if they were a careless pass, you'll pick it off. And usually passes that are made in the open court and uh, cross-court passes, they're going to be layups. Uh, they're going to be layups. Uh, it might be a three-point shot today uh, because everyone, they'll run down four on one and some guy will shoot a three-point shot instead of having a layup. So even the thinking of the game has changed enormously today. Uh, and, and coaches embrace it. And uh, that's why we're seeing an influx of much better shooters, uh, players who are really gifted uh, handling the ball moving the ball um, and they start so early today they have so much information on their hands so much shooting information they have <clears throat> all of these basketball camps aeu camps tournaments all summer most of these kids when they come into the league they know each other from playing against each other a number of times when they're teenagers totally do you, do you think, though, that there is too much, you know, fraternizing in the NBA today? Uh, are guys too friendly because of social media and off-court friendships and relationships? 
I would never talk to anyone. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want to talk to the players. I didn't even want to shake their hands for a game. I, I just thought it. Uh, I thought it was disrespectful. I always had great respect for the players I played against, and uh, and uh, more importantly, uh, I just thought it was something I didn't. You know, why why shake hand, hands with the enemy who wants to kill you? You should want to kill them first. So you look at it like it's a war rather than, you know, a basketball game. <laughs> Absolutely. It is a war. Yeah. It is a war. Uh, you know, if, if you would, I've likened it to, uh, you know, we were always, people were always looking for motivational things. I think the greatest motivation comes with, from within. I really do. And the ones that are self-motivated, the coach doesn't have to get up and make some kind of a, speech that's going to rouse the room. I hated when coaches did that. I didn't want to hear them. I just wanted to go play because all that stuff in my mind had already been thought out. And by playing against these players for a number of times, you have sort of had a catalog in your mind of what they did and what they didn't do. But uh, the uh, end of the day, uh, I was very self-motivated. And today it's just a much easier world for them. Uh, every uh, every, um, you know, everything they need to be a better player is there for them if they want to work at it. And, you know, a lot of people, particularly older players, oh, I wish I'd had this. It's not the case, okay? It's not the case. Forget it. Uh, we served our time when we played. Uh, it certainly wasn't the best of circumstances, both from a travel standpoint and from a health standpoint, because it just, it, we just didn't have what they have today, the resources. And more importantly, the resources to learn how to get better, uh, teaching aids, uh, people to work with you individually. I, I mean, if I, in summer, sometimes when getting close to training camp, I might want to go shoot somewhere. I'd have to chase every ball that I shot if I miss it. And so, oh, so what oh it makes God. you do, what it makes you do is not want to miss. And so... Uh, so you get to the point and actually it's, I know it sounds crazy and probably people think it sounds insane, but sometimes when you're shooting balls the right way, the ball will come out and it'll sort of bounce back to you. So you don't have to chase it all over the place. Well, if you hit, if you hit the back of the rim, right? Cause then it sort of no, rolls along just, the bottom of the just, net. You know, if you can't shoot the ball straight, you're never going to be a great shooter <laughs> and, uh, shooting the ball straight and, uh, and using your legs and having the right uh, proper technique and uh, learning how to shoot difficult shots uh, uh, from different positions. All of those things were stuff that I used to practice uh, on my own. Uh, no one showed me how to do it, but I, I tried like crazy to be able to find a way to uh, make shooting more difficult. So you had to shoot it straighter. Um, had to have the right arc. Uh, I used to practice shooting the ball two or three different heights all the time, different release points. Uh, but at, again, it's everyone plays these little mind games. When you're playing mind games, um, <clears throat> they're important for you, they're important for yourself, uh, and they're important for uh, the person that's doing it to get better. You have to challenge yourself even when you're by yourself. Totally. So somebody like Michael Jordan, right? He is famous for doing this thing. I call it manufactured motivation, where he would make stories up just to get himself motivated. Like he would say that somebody said something to him that they never said just to get him hyped up. Do you believe in that sort of thing? Or do you think 
it it has to sort of come from within. You know what? I know Michael pretty well, and uh, <clears throat> and we've talked about things like that. But I don't think there's any question that if you're a great great player, and, and certainly I'm not sure we've seen a player like him in my lifetime because of his impressive play on both ends of the court. He was arguably, well, I don't think he arguably, he was the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the league. We haven't seen that before. And, uh, but the competitive nature of Michael was just unique. And if there's someone that was sort of a challenge to him in terms of, you know, talking about the best player in the league, um, he was going to prove that that wasn't the case. And, uh, and also he was going to lead his team. He was a, he was just a fierce competitor, but uh, physically, I'm, I'm not sure we've seen a package like that. The quickness, the lateral quickness, the vertical, the running, uh, gigantic hands, uh, being able to do things in the air that we see very, well, we haven't really seen anyone do uh, like him. Totally. So I had, I had Walt Clyde Frazier on the podcast. And I asked him, you know, whether it was possible even to compare eras. Uh, and he, he essentially said, not really. Um, but I'm curious, do you share that? Can we even compare players from different eras? Or is it impossible because of how much was different? Well, it, it's really impossible. Okay. And I sort of liken uh, when I played, uh, when I came into the league, it was start of people being much more athletic. Um, and I was fortunate I was very athletic. I could run and jump. And, um, um, and I'll, even when I first came into the league, even though I didn't start right away, and I was the second player taken in the draft, um, I could just see from playing a few minutes that if I had any kind of patience and if the coach would have any kind of confidence in me, that I was going to be able to do well in this league. Uh, at, at performance-wise, I, I wasn't concerned that I was going to be uh, someone who was uh, an also-ran. Uh, I just felt that I had a chance if I would continue to work at it and continue to be motivated, that I was going to be a player that was going to, to be productive in this league. And I was fortunate I played with a great, great player in Elgin Baylor. And uh, we, you know, I, I think one of the greatest compliments I've ever had, and it's awkward I don't even enjoy talking about myself, to be honest with you, but um, they called him Mr. Inside and me Mr. Outside. Well, you know, to be a scorer in this league, you just can't shoot shots. You've got to be, have the ability to make people foul you, get to the free throw line. Uh, that's how you score a lot of points. It's just not shooting the ball. You've got to get to the free throw line. And it was an incredible learning experience for me to – Every year I'd come back more confident after my rookie year. And after that, I think I made in my career, I made the all pro team 11 times, uh, even with injuries uh, that maybe robbed me a couple more times. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a great learning experience to play with someone like him who was one of the greatest people I've ever met and an enormously gifted basketball player. Um, but he was, he was a perfect teammate. Perfect. That's amazing. I, I love that. Um, when you look back, uh, you know, at, at some of your former teammates, are there any 
you know, not even necessarily pertaining to basketball, but are there any big life lessons that just stick out like a sore thumb to you uh, in terms of things that you've picked up along the way from, from some of those guys in terms of, you know, being a happier person? Well, I wouldn't exactly say I'm a happier person. Uh, I've never, you know, I've battled depression in my life. It's pretty well documented. And uh, uh, the smallest things made me feel good. Um, you know, if I would, if I'd go out and play games that, you know, maybe some other people weren't capable of at that point in their lives, um, I felt good about it if we won. If we lost, it would, it meant nothing. And I bet the, the be, uh, probably the best, best lesson I think I've ever learned in my life is when I was growing up. You know, when I grew up, there wasn't much hope. Uh, you know, people went to high school, or got married and had kids. And they worked for the coal mines. Uh, That's not who I was at all. My mind was not like that. <clears throat> I could have never worked in a coal mine. And somewhere along the way, uh, I was given a gift and, and kind of a determination to try to live my dreams. And I was a dreamer. I still am a dreamer. I still believe in goal setting. The goals have to be a lot more successful. I mean, uh, a lot more... Um, hmm flexible today than ever before because of the dynamics, the dynamics, the way the world has changed. But I remember as a kid that I used to, I'd build these old basketball things and I'd put them up on the side of a tree or something like that. And they weren't very pretty, but they at least had a hoop. And I would go out there and play all these mind games. And I could tell myself that, uh, that uh, you know, I was gonna make the last second shot uh, I would find, I could miss it 10 times and find a way to put a second back on the shot clock and make a shot. Um, I also learned one thing really well that because the places I shot the ball from, they weren't conventional courts. And it's, you know, everyone said, oh, you shot the ball in the snow. And, and almost, people almost want to laugh at it, but it happens a lot to kids, in particular in you know, isolated areas. And, and you're, it's, Basketball, you can learn everything about basketball. It's such a solitary sport. You don't need other people to participate. Uh, you can learn almost everything that you need to learn. Uh, you know, dribbling the ball, passing the ball. You can pass the ball off the board to yourself. You can pass off a tree to yourself if that be the case. And you can also learn how to shoot the ball uh, if your fundamentals are good. But you do need some kind of a touch. <clears throat> but if you don't have fundamentals, you can't do that in the, in the first place. But that's something that uh, uh, I was a dreamer and I can't tell you in my life um, how many times I dreamed about making a last second shot. And I made a lot of them in my career and uh, I'd have writers to um, ask me how that happened. Well, I said, I've done it a million times and, and, and they would sort of laugh about it and didn't really ask me anything about it. But when I was out there playing by myself, no one liked to play basketball. Uh, the area I was on, football and baseball were the two big sports. Um, I would go out there and I would not leave until I made two or three shots at one game. I was the coach, I was the announcer, I was a referee, and also was timekeeper. That was the most important thing, being the timekeeper. I could always manage to put, a, you know, mentally a second or two on the shot clock, but when I came to Los Angeles and, and I first came here, all the fans were from New York rooting for the Knicks. And um, 
we had an announcer, a very famous announcer, Chick Hearn, who probably, uh, he started a craze of basketball with his words eye view of the game. Um, and uh, he nicknamed me Mr. Clutch. That's what he nicknamed me, Mr. Clutch. Pretty good nickname. <laughs> and um, and um, it was kind of ironic because that stuck with me through my life. But I, I made a lot of last second shots and then something that really was thrilling to do it. And frankly, I've never really elaborated on that very much. But the reason why was because I did that as a kid. It would make, give me something to feel good when I went home when I did not know what was going to happen in my house. Yeah. That um that being the being the timekeeper is incredibly it's incredibly underrated. It's an underrated job. <laughs> well, you watch how many times in basketball games today, and even with a tenth of a second up there, the kids dribble out the shot clock because they're not aware of it. But I just again, I used to, I'd close my eyes and I'd try to replicate a second thousand one thousand two thousand three thousand four thousand five, just to get where it was three seconds, five seconds. And to try to do that in my mind. And, and listen, I was a little guy. I was 10, 11 years old. Um, it was a, it was a feel good thing. And sometimes there's a writer that uh, Ann Didion, who's very famous, uh, wrote a. She said something was really amazing one time. She said people tell themselves stories in order to live. Well, I told myself a lot of stories in my life to make me feel good about myself. And um, when the world around me seemed like it was crumbling. Right, totally. No, and it's, it's funny, you know, I, I grew up in New York City, so I didn't have full-size courts when I was super young, but I used to do the same thing on my mini hoops. I would, you know, oh, they added three seconds to the clock, steps back, hits the shot and they win, wow! You know, all those sorts of things. Uh, it's, it's, so, it's so fun, but, you know, you're you're definitely a true testament as to if you if you believe it and then put the work in, you can accomplish anything. And I think, you know, the fact that you were able to do that then is unbelievable because of how much easier it is to do now. Um, and I think that's sort of one of the great takeaways from people, extraordinary people like yourself who did it. You know anybody can do anything and I know you're you're a believer of that but it sounds like dreaming is a huge part of that for you I would tell you that one of the other things just you know people just living a life you're going to run into a lot of walls and if you're if you're willing to give up you're probably going to be an average person I don't think growing up I would always with anyone who would come and ask me questions about, you know, how I can get here. I said, look, I said, if you want to give up after you hit a wall, I said, you can't do that. I said, it takes a lot of failure. Um, and in my case, losing, uh, winning a ton when it, during the regular season, you know, uh, I mean, I've led the league in assists. I've led the league in scoring. I was an all defensive team when they didn't even late in my career. Um, almost everything individually I accomplished, but winning championships was the thing that have always left a, a lot of scars on me. And, and um, I was more, much more successful being involved with teams that were great teams that were uh, winning championships. And even though you know, everyone saw, you know, they always want to 
give credit to the front office. Uh, you can, uh, and it's important to understand that front, front offices are very important. You, it's a puzzle. When you put a puzzle together, if you've got two or three pieces missing, you're probably not going to win. And um, it's just something that's always, uh, I, I love to learn even today. Uh, I, I try like crazy to learn today. I'm a huge reader. Uh, I like to read inspirational things, stories of people who have made a difference in the world, uh, presidents, uh, some of our civil rights leaders, uh, some of our impassionate leaders from other parts of the country, uh, I mean, in the, of the world. Um, I love to read about them because if you look at them, they face similar obstacles that any athlete would have, but <clears throat> their odds were much less than what athletes would have today. I'm 100% with you. I don't know if you can see behind me, but I, I have like a George Washington over there, Abraham Lincoln on, on my left side. These are, um, here, I'll show you. These are um, vintage sports cards from the 1950s of historical figures. And I'm 100% with you for that reason. I mean, when you look at, you know, things like sports leagues, you know, you got 300, 400, 500 guys. It was all on George to get this whole thing to work. So, you know, you look back and you study those guys. It's so fascinating because of the pressure um, and, you know, what a lot of those guys had to do. So I'm, I'm a huge history buff like, your, like yourself in that regard. Well, we don't teach that enough, and we hardly even teach it today, but there's some really interesting stories about Lincoln and, and, uh, and uh, FDR, Roosevelt, uh, Stalin, um, people who've been prominent in the changes in this world today. And uh, I got through reading a book the other day on Thurgood Marshall and his attempt to become a Supreme Court member in, in 1956. Uh, it was a fascinating book and how great he was as a person and how against great odds only because he was, uh, he was a black man that he persevered and became one of the, our greatest Supreme Court judges. And uh, uh, it's just amazing if you read the books about people like that who truly made a difference and changed, helped change our country, which needs much more change than we, than we have today. Um, but we need leaders and leaders are inspirational. Uh, uh, Robert Caro, who was a New York native, you know, he's written a lot of incredible books. He had, he's written two or three, a, a few on, on LBJ, uh, fascinating books. I uh, wrote a book on the building in New York City. Uh, uh, I mean, he's, he's an amazing writer, but there's so many writers out there that will focus on, you know, one president, uh, one, one person. And I wish people would get kind of away from you know reading all the mysteries and all the thrillers and everything because history please teach our kids history today don't forget it learn from it but don't replicate it totally you know what's so funny about that so I right now I'm in the middle of reading Thomas Jefferson's biography by John Meacham um, and I'm, I'm probably going to do Andrew Jackson's after that but the thing is like I'm so I'm 20 now when I was in high school I didn't I didn't like history at all. You know, I didn't like any subject except for gym, truthfully. But, um, but afterwards, when it was presented to me in the context at which, you know, 
I actually would be able to consume and enjoy. So for, and for me, it was collecting things. So as I collected the cards and, you know, presidential, I have a signed presidential document by Abraham Lincoln from him appointing the postmaster general in, you know, 1852. Um, it's like those things draw me in and get me to learn, you know, about all those sorts of things. So I think for everybody, it's just about uh, it being much more individualized than, you know, sort of the school system allows. That That's at least for me, you know, like these days, what the problem was, but I love it now and hated it then. So to your point, it's, it's really just about teaching it the right way. Well, you know, it's another interesting thing that's happened in my life. When you grow up in a little town of 500 and you don't have a whole lot to look forward to in your life, or at least think you don't, um, uh, to, to know that I have spent time with a number of our presidents and some of them who I really admire greatly, um, I would never thought in my life that would have happened. Never thought. And um, it's just pretty special that um, I had a chance to spend time with those people uh, when I'd already read about them, knew about them, and I watched them, you know, pillared and 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 said horrible things about. And uh, I remember when President Obama. Uh, got elected, it's probably the happiest day of my life because I thought America had come full circle then. And just uh, meeting him and being around him, what a great guy he was, how classy he was. Um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, <clears throat> he's fun. Obviously, he's brilliant, smart. He's got, he's got a great way about him. And that, in that office today, we're trying to uh, not get political, but we're certainly trying to do some things that are um, less than cooperative with uh, all the members of our country, uh, our country, and, and particularly the position that America has in this world. It's, it's not an, it's a, it's a slippery, very slippery slope today. Very slippery. Totally. Just, just the visual though, of you going from, you know, adding a few seconds to your shot clock to hanging out with presidents of the United States is, it's, pretty remarkable i mean that's the documentary right there <laughs> well oh yes it's uh, it was i feel blessed to be honest with you feel blessed and obama's a huge basketball fan too and yes, i don't know is. how would you judge his jump shot i know you've seen it who him well you know um i haven't seen him shoot in person i think seeing someone shoot in person is a lot more easy to okay, okay, okay. but you know what? he loves it he loves the game he likes to he likes to, i like the fact that he's willing to talk a little trash with some of our players he, that he knows better and he certainly knows me that's funny so i, I want to ask a very fun question speaking of all the collectibles and things like that obviously you have some very famous cards your 1961 fleer rookie card i'm sure you've signed a ton of them but um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the most somebody has ever paid for a Jerry West basketball card is? You know what? I don't know. And frankly, I don't really care because I don't look at myself that way. I think it's just something that uh, were promotional things for the league. And now, you know, people when being shut in with all the COVID stuff, I think they're buying things and paying record prices for them that make most sense to me. 
it makes absolutely no sense to me. If I had one, I would give it to you. <clears throat> but I don't, I'm not a self-collector. Um, you know, I've got a few things that are, I guess, pretty valuable because people want me to sell them and I'm not gonna sell them. Uh, have no reason to sell them. Um, and I think to myself, why should I give them away to some charity or something like that where uh, people can enjoy them and maybe that day will come when they all go to West Virginia University when I'm no longer here. That's awesome. Well, all that it means is that people love you, which is always, it's never yeah. a bad thing. Uh, I'm not sure that if they knew me, maybe they had a different opinion, but I really do like people. Um, I try to make time for everyone. And, and uh, sometimes as a player, uh, you know, when you're being rushed and everything, it would just used to sort of irritate me that if kids would be waiting out there that you didn't have enough chance to sign them, but uh, it's on to bigger and better things tomorrow night. So you were held up, but um, I do embrace people. <clears throat> I like all people, whether they like me or not, that's up to them. Um, but I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And uh, uh, you know, I think there's some people that I played against, I have incredible respect for, and some I had no respect. And uh, uh, again, when I say no respect, because they were kicking our fannies. <laughs> uh, but I think time changes a lot of things for me and certainly have made me uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to do something that I love to do. Um, an old adage that I've heard for years and it's so true. Uh, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. I've never worked a day in my life. That's the best. I love that. Um, and, and I also do love that you still have some of your memorabilia as well. That's You never know about leaving, being in my house. Never know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, trust me, I believe you on that. Um, I, I do think, though, from a charitable standpoint, like some of this stuff is, is pretty incredible. Um, like what collectibles can raise for charities for good causes and, and things like that. Um, obviously our, our mutual friend, our you mutual know, friend Darren knows a lot about that. Excuse me for interrupting, but I think that the, you know, the, the, the reason it would be awkward for me to do that because people would say you need the money and, um, you know, I don't. And, uh, but I have frankly no reason to have it um, some of the things are really interesting. And uh, to think back at the, the times, uh, I have a gold medal won by an amateur team with a, my jersey, the picture of your uniform on it, that's extremely valuable. And um, I'll never forget 1960, playing with an all amateur team. Uh, it was just the highlight of my professional, uh, not professional, but, but my, uh, my basketball career, um, greatest honor ever to win a gold medal as an amateur for the USA. That's incredible. I love that you still have the jerseys and, and medals and things like that. It's gotta be fun to look back on though. It brings back some memories and things like that. Well, you know, uh, unless, you know, some of my friends have passed away and people I participated with and things. And uh, every time they, you know, someone who I was particularly close to uh, and really cared for, uh, you do start to reminisce about things, but you know, unfortunately we can't live as long as we want to live. And, and as long as you're, you know, as long as you're still viable and your brain still works, um, it's fun to be involved. But 
uh, I would never, <clears throat> I would never do something that I didn't, if I didn't think I was going to be able to contribute or to make a contribution, maybe to the growth of a young kid who needed some encouragement, uh, who got, who discouraged because everyone has rejected him. Um, and rejection of someone who's pursuing a lifetime goal, let's say for an athlete, it's probably the harshest thing because of all the time they spent, all the effort they spent, that's probably the most incredible rejection you could have. And that's when people, that's when young kids need people around them to talk, talk to them about it and just understand that uh, a lot of sports are highly specialized um, and they don't all come from the USA today. Not at all. They come from all over the world. So what, 440 players play in the NBA uh, comprised of, of what, probably 20% European yeah. close to it. And more and more are going to come over here because I mentioned earlier, when you're young and uh, uh, you don't have anything to do and you know, kind of aimless and maybe a friend of yours takes you to a gym and you pick up a basketball and there's people there that are pretty skilled and they watch them and they get motivated for it. So, um, and there's an incredible amount of financial reward today for players. You can, you know, you can make your life very secure. You can take care of people. You can give to charity things. You can support causes. Um, <clears throat> all these things are important, particularly when kids are struggling and particularly when they're growing into the respective sports. So I'm curious from a, a wider standpoint, the people that listen to this podcast are, you know, all the way from 13 years old to upwards of 30, you know, mostly interested in, in sports, obviously, but business as well. If you were to speak to, you know, somebody like myself, 20 year old, who's, you know, doing his thing in, in business and, and, you know, just chasing their passion, what would your best advice to those people be? Well, <clears throat> and I think when you talk to anyone, uh, you have to listen to them. You tell, tell me your story and tell me what you're trying to accomplish or what you want to accomplish. You think of all the kids that go to college and some of the best colleges in the world and uh, <clears throat> they go there, they get their degree and they never use their degree. Think about that. And think that's when the guy more extreme. That's why I skipped college. Okay, this, they spend. It's because when you're young, I, I honestly wish that kids didn't have to go to college until they're about 20 years of age. I think they might, you know, go out in the world a little bit and have maybe some kind of a different learning experiences. Maybe they, maybe they work, you know, some menial type job, uh, and then you go home and study what, you know, what what has affected them, uh, affected them. What the, what do they feel good about it, it or is just a job? If it's just a job, you shouldn't be in it. And I think you need to whittle down what you want to try to accomplish in your life and in what field. Uh, that to me, my advice, as I say, find something you love, as I mentioned earlier, and go for it. Never work a day in your life. That's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I try to push to, especially people who are younger, just because what made a huge difference for me was internships when I was, you know, in high school and you can find them, you know, there are now platforms like LinkedIn and things like that, that can help you find opportunities like that, no matter who you are. Um, but I think that 
having some of those work experiences, albeit short and sometimes during the summer in between high school years, like you said, just getting that experience um, is, is a game changer. And for me, it was the reason why I didn't even apply to college. You yeah. know, out of, I had 540 <laughs> kids in my graduating class and I was the only person, you know, not to go. But it was because of those internship experiences that showed me that, oh, you know, there's the, they, they always call it like, there's the real world, you know, when you get out of college, um, but it's all the real world, you know, we're all here doing our thing. So it's just about figuring out some sort of lane into that as early as possible. And like you did going all in on it. Well, I would, uh, one, of, one of the things I would tell you, you know, a lot of people are shy. <clears throat> I was extremely shy, uh, hardly said a word when I went to college. And I think just to experience going to college, it made me open up to understand that uh, a lot of people had a lot to say. Uh, you could choose your friends, but you know, if you're interacting with people, let's say you were working in some drugstore, just some menial kind of summer job. The one thing it will help you to do is to deal with a lot of different people with a lot of different personalities, some gentle, some a little rough around the edges. I think it helps you grow personality-wise. Uh, it learns you learn to accept that the world is not everyone's not like you, um, and you should embrace that. I that's one of the things I've I've always been attracted to people who are different when they're thinking. Their thinking motivates me sometimes, and other people who uh, sound like they're on a recording every day, I probably after a while I'm tired of listening to that recording. I want someone that comes in today, supplies information. I love information. Uh, I, I read the newspaper every day and they're getting th thinner and thinner, by the way. Uh, so I try to read things that stimulate me and the people who have motivated others and who have um, brought a uh, different perspective into a lot of different jobs, a lot of different um, uh, um, areas that I don't know anything about. And so that's, if somebody asks me and starts asking questions or, or is talking about something, the first thing I will say after, if I find it intriguing, I'll ask them, where can I find out any information about this? I wanna know what, why makes, why are you so interested in this? And why do you think has so much promise? And um, I've always been that way. I'm a very curious person. Um, you're never too old to learn, and more importantly, appreciate, regardless of what age, appreciate what people say, even though it might not resonate with what you feel is right. Listen. Hey, you're, you're preaching, you're preaching, man. I, I'm 100% with you on all of that. You know, one of the things that I, I uh, have tried to remind myself of is just that regardless of who you're talking to, they always know, you know, a lot that you don't. Um, so being open-minded, no matter who it is, it could be a five-year-old. They look at the world in a different way than you and I do. Um, so just being open to everybody's perspective, um, because, you know, the, I, I think I forget how the saying goes, but you know, the the day that you think you know everything is the day that. It's all over. Well, that's when you, <clears throat> when you think you know everything, you better lock yourself, <clears throat> lock yourself up and look in a mirror and examine yourself real well because you don't. 
some people, you know, working in a an environment where uh, there's a lot of stress and winning in professional sports because it creates so much negative talk. I mean, so much social media talk today that it's really distracting, really distracting. And I watch some of the commentary that these people make. And I hear people that are commentators, well, they should not have this guy on their team. These darn people, the reason they do it is to create controversy. That does not interest me at all. What's most important is to do the right thing and trust people that are hired by people. Uh, and, and I'm talking about sports. I see it all the time in sports because it almost has become so important in this country that it's more important than other things that matter a heck of a lot more than a sports team. But I just, I just think that um, uh, let the people who own a team decide, let them make the decision, uh, the people they hire, let them make the decision. If they're not doing their job, replace them. That's the way this world is today. And uh, you, know, you see teams in the NBA have struggled for years and uh, you say to yourself, why? Well, because the system, to some respects, is about equality. They want everyone to be equal. I'm sure that they'd like a couple of super teams that win a lot of games. But if you're going to, uh, if you're going to a game in, say, Memphis, Tennessee, and the New York Knicks come in town, and Memphis has a better team than New York, people in New York can't understand that. You have I'm to get that. No, but I'm just I'm using that as an example yeah. because you're from New York. But just give credit to these other franchises because they put this puzzle together, and they've kept the puzzle going. The secret is is to not be, just be a one or two year wonder, but preserve integrity of the franchise for over a number of years. Uh, be viable all the time, and you do that by having, you know, two or three young kids that are from you know, 21 to or 19 even through 24, and then a bunch of guys in the middle there from 24 to 28, and some, some guys from 28 to 32. Uh, you need a balance to your team. And it's great to have all young players, but the system is not designed to be able to pay all those young players. It's not. And, um, you have to decide early on, uh, is this the group we want to keep or do we want to let some of these guys or trade them? Uh, it's, it's a balancing act. There's no question. And people don't give enough credit. Um, why does the number one pick in the draft fail? They have failed, what, three or four times. The number one pick in the draft. And everyone's supposed to be, be experts. Well. It shows that they're not experts. It's a best educated guess. And some people make the best educated guess on the parameters that they feel are important for their respective team. Totally. And it's like in a lot of things, somebody being, you know, marginally better at something like a baseball player hitting the ball, you know, 40 out of a thousand times more than the next guy is the difference between Babe Ruth and somebody you've never heard of, you know? Well, that's right. Well, the other thing that's terrible is lots of people draft players and they, and they'll know sometimes within a year that the guy is not going to be what they thought. And, and they'll keep this guy around for 10 years to try to justify, you know, a, a pick that wasn't what they thought they were going to be. Well, I think 
addition by subtraction, moving quicker uh, than maybe you want to move him um, because you don't think he's going to work out. But every everyone does it different. You can't fault any of them because you have to trust them uh, for their expertise and knowledge and also the fact that they're running a respective franchise. Totally. No, it makes perfect sense. Well, I want to be I want to be respectful of your time. So, Mr. Clutch, thank you so much for doing this. This was an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much, Buster. It's great to spend time with you. Continue good luck, and uh, <clears throat> maybe we'll see you on ESPN or something here sooner or later. Maybe. Thanks, okay. brother. My best. Bye bye.